Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Could you please stand with us and sing? We waited for this day. We gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. What a beautiful day. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Well, welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you're here. While you're standing, please take a moment and welcome those around you.
If you return to your seats, you may be seated. While you're returning to your seats, let me once again welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. I know we have some people here, maybe for the first time, maybe you're here uh, visiting, maybe you're here with your, your mom and you're just here to worship the Lord Jesus. We just want to welcome you. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you let us know that. There's a QR code inside uh, the bulletin. You can just scan that. There's a couple questions. If you'll just answer those, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Let me do a couple things. First, because it's Mother's Day, um, those of you who have been at Northside for a while, you know uh, that there are baby bottles up here in this crib. So I want to encourage you, if you have not already got your baby bottle, to come get them. There are about 50 bottles in the crib. We have more. So for some reason, all the bottles are gone. We'll have more next week. But what you do is you take these. You take them today, over the next couple of weeks, you fill them up with change, cash, or you can write a check payable to Coweta Pregnancy Services. You bring them back by Father's Day, and then we take them to the Coweta Pregnancy Services uh, the Center for all the work that they do. I have a video that I'll show over the next couple of weeks that just talks a little bit um, about how these, these bottles and this money uh, makes a difference. But one of our partners, ministry partners, is the Coweta Pregnancy Center, and so this goes to them. So please pick up your bottle, just bring it back by Father's Day. The other thing we want to do is it is Mother's Day, and so we do want to just recognize our moms, and so I'm going to have you stand in just a second, our mother, so we can thank you and applaud you and just express our appreciation to you. On your way out, uh, as you leave, we're going to have some of our older high school girls that are going to be passing out flowers to you. Um, just a, I know it is a very small way. We just honestly can't even explain how grateful we are to you um, as moms. So if you are a mom, would you please just stand so we can just recognize you? Go ahead. Don't be shy. There you go, moms. Amen. Now, I want to have you be seated. I was going to have you remain standing while I prayed, but then we're going to have to sing two more songs, and you'd be standing a long time. So my gift to you is I'm going to let you be seated while I pray uh, over you. So you're welcome. Um, but let me, let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for this day because it's a day that you've given to us first and foremost. It's a day that we set aside, God, to come gather, to worship you, to rest as we should rest in Christ every day, but just a reminder that we are to rest in you and to draw our grace from you. But God, today is also special because it is Mother's Day. And so we just, we just thank you, God, for these mothers. The proverb says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. It goes on to say, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What I give you thanks for, for my mom. I give you thanks for my mother-in-law. I give you thanks for my wife. So, Father, just right now in this moment, if we haven't already taken time to express our appreciation, the Father, from our hearts up to your throne, we just say thank you. Bless these women. God, use them for your glory. Some of them, Lord, as we're, as we're talking about time this morning, some of them, Father, this morning probably feel stretched and they're exhausted because they are right in in the middle of parenting. Maybe they've got young kids, and Lord, they're, they're just exhausted. They're giving all that they have to raising up their children. 
So I'm in this room, Father, over the next week or two are going to stand and are going to sit and they're going to watch their child graduate. The one that they have loved and prayed for and poured into, they're going to see them graduate and, and begin that next phase of their life. Father, for some of the moms in this room, they've, they've done it. They've completed it. Lord, their children are grown, they're adults, and they still pray for them, but they are not actively parenting. Father, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize that as wonderful as this day is for me to celebrate and for the women in my life, God, there are some women here this morning that this is a hard day for them. It's a hard day, Father, maybe because they were never able to have children, or maybe it's a hard day because they've had to bury a child. Or maybe it's a hard day because this is the first Mother's Day that they have without their mom. Or maybe it's the fifth or the tenth, and this is a hard day for them every year. Father, I don't want to ignore that. And so, Lord, we just lift them up. We pray for them. We pray that they would find their hope and their strength in you. And, God, I just hope that these moms here this morning know how thankful I am for them and how thankful this church is for them Lord, continue to use them for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to sing some more choir. If you'll come forward while we sing, and if everyone else will stand, and let's worship together.
a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me stands in my defense Jesus is your blood your blood speaks a better word than all the empty Righteousness for me stands in my defense. Jesus is your blood. What can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood. Nothing. Confidence is 
it's only by your blood. And what can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? There's nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of have a seat.
Amen. Thank you, choir and Alexa and Brian for filling in for Curtis and Ann who are traveling as we speak to Florida to spend the week down there. All right. At this time, our children are going to make their way to Children's Church. Both of our ages are going to make their way out. If you will take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians. And I know we just preached through Ephesians, but I want to just point out a couple verses that are just going to kind of launch us into um, the sermon this morning. So we're in a series, it's a short series, just a couple weeks, um, on stewardship. And we talked about stewardship as this idea biblically that God owns it all. God owns everything, therefore you own nothing. You're not owners, rather you are stewards or managers. God has entrusted things to you. We saw a couple weeks ago that God has entrusted to us treasure, our finances, and therefore we want to steward those and use those in, in, in a way that honors Him and furthers the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to look at the, the issue of time, of time. Everyone in this room, everyone watching online, you have a date of birth. I'm not talking about your spiritual birth, I'm talking about your physical birth. You have a date of birth. Everyone in this room, though you don't know when it is, you will have a date of death. And unless Jesus comes, or you may be cremated and you won't actually see this, but if you are being buried and you have a headstone or a tombstone, we will walk up and we will see date of birth dash date of death. That dash, though tiny, is very significant. That dash represents your life, your days, your time that you have here on earth. And so therefore, what we do with that time that God has entrusted to us matters. And so Ephesians chapter 5, just a couple verses, then we'll look at some other verses as we go through the sermon as well. But if you'll please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. You may be seated. The scripture right is on the screen so that you can see it if you don't have a copy of God's word. Paul in this letter writes, look carefully. That word means pay close attention to or examine. What are you to examine? He says, look carefully then how you walk. Is this referring to your actual physical walk, like your posture? And No, it's not speaking to a physical walk. This word walk means behavior or life. So pay close attention to examine your life, your behavior. Why? Because your life matters, how you live matters, and the gospel that the choir just sang about changes how you and I live and behave. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, the wise person asks, am I living wisely? And then he goes on to say, making the best use of. That Greek word means to work urgently or to redeem the time. We talk often about wasting time. Anybody waste time yesterday? We talk about killing time. Anybody have to kill some time? Like you showed up early and you had some time you had to kill before you could 
go in maybe to see the doctor. We speak of losing track of time. Anybody lose track of time this past week? Paul speaks of redeeming the time, of buying back, or some commentaries will say buy up, like to make the most use of the time that we have been given. So the wise person not only asks, am I living wisely, but they also ask, am I using my time wisely? Now notice two things. Notice, number one, he says, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Now hear me. We live in evil days, right? Paul lived in evil days. Evil since the fall has existed. We're surrounded by evil. We're surrounded by sin. But newsflash, you're not only surrounded by sin, sin is in you. And therefore, the temptation for every single one of us in this room is to live our lives in a way where we succumb to the evil, where when it comes to time, we're guilty of wasting time or using our time for wicked, evil purposes. And so we have to recognize we're surrounded by evil. The sin is within us. And so the wise person, secondly, recognizes that time is a precious commodity. The Greek word that Paul uses for time here is not chronos. It's not chronological time or what we might think of clock time. It's not that word. It's kairos. It speaks to a measured or allocated time. Some translations in other places where this word is translated, translated opportunity. So make the best use of every opportunity, of every day. Why? Because God allots a certain amount of time to each of us. God allots certain opportunities for each of us. And so we must recognize that time is precious and that the number of your days have already been predetermined. You don't know them, I don't know them, but God knows them. As you sit here right now, you have no idea when you'll take your final breath, but God knows. And hear me, if you believe God is sovereign, then there is nothing you can do to extend your life. The moment God says, it's time, no doctor, no medical technology can keep you alive. He's numbered your days. Scripture teaches this. Job 14.5 teaches us that our days are determined. Our days are appointed. Psalm 39, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. James 4.14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Compared to eternity, you're here and you're gone. Your life is short. And it is precious. God as creator and owner entrusts to us a certain number of days. So hear me. How we live out those days matters. And I have good news. Your days and your time can be used to bring glory to God. Which is what our ultimate goal is. It is we have been created by Him. We have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. Now we want to glorify Him and in everything, including our time. So the message this morning, the design is to be very practical. So here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time. What consumes most of our time? 
Now, we could get into a lot of things. We could chase a lot of rabbits, but I'm going to look at three main categories. Most of your life is spent doing one of these three things. Working, leisure, I'm going to call it playing. Now, that playing could be many different things, playing a round of golf or working in the yard or watching TV or piddling around on social media. Like, what you're doing when you're actually not working, you're playing and then you're resting. Now, certainly when we talk about resting, we could talk about sleep. We could talk about physical rest. It matters. It's important. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Some of you need more physical sleep. Some of you maybe need less physical sleep. That's between you and the Lord to sort that out. But when we come to rest, I'm going to talk about spiritually resting, which I believe is the most important of all of these. So let's consider working for the glory of God. Now, some of you are presently working. You have a job and you work. Or you're a stay-at-home mom and you're working 24 hours a day. Or you're retired. And this morning you're like, praise Jesus, I don't have to go to work anymore. I'm retired. But you had to do that. Or you're a student. And in your stage of life, that is your work. You're having to get up. You're spending six to eight hours at school every day or work doing school at home. Right? You're doing school. That's falling under work. So this is important. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see that God creates man in his image. And as we study God, what we learn about God is that God is a God who works. God is a God who works. And God has given work to us as a gift. So hear me. If God works and we are made in his image, then when you and I work, we can image or reflect our creator who works. We can image him and reflect him. It's why you read in Proverbs, there's so much about being lazy or, or being a sloth. Why? Because that's not wise. It doesn't reflect God accurately. We are to work. Now, a couple books I want to reference. I've not read these books in their entirety, so I can't speak to them. But in, in studying this, I came across some quotes and, and, and one thing that I found really helpful. So there's one book by Amy Sherman called Kingdom Calling. And I think it's a great summary. She writes, work is not evil, nor is it a side effect of sin. So if you believe all work is evil, well, that's just not biblical. I hate to break it to you, but work is not evil. This truth can be hard for us sometimes to trust when we are frustrated in our job or unfulfilled in our careers. It's certainly true that the curse of Genesis 3 brought toil and futility into work. Genesis 3 is what makes work so hard, but work is not evil. Ever since, our experience of work involves pain as well as pleasure, but work itself is good. It has intrinsic value. Side note, and I've said this many times, young folks, students, if you will learn to develop a strong work ethic, you will be miles and miles ahead of most of your peers who are lazy and don't want to do a thing. It honors God to work. And then another resource I came across is Robert Banks in his book, Faith Goes to Work, Reflections from the Marketplace. And I'm just going to tell you, I found this very helpful. Hopefully you find it helpful. In this book, he talks about the different kinds of work that God does and how we and our work can image these kinds of work. And so think about where you are, whether you were working, you're retired, or you are presently working. Think about the kind of work that you do and how it images 
God. And so these will be on the screen. Number one, he says, is God's redemptive work. God's redemptive work. So God's saving and reconciling work, right? He's saving sinners. In his book, he says, this is the work that evangelists do, the work that pastors do. To a certain extent, the work that counselors do. We have a lot of counselors who simply give secular mumbo-jumbo, but then there are Christian counselors who have studied the psychology. They understand that, but they come ultimately from a biblical worldview that ultimately the remedy for the problems of the world is sin, and we need Jesus. And so they have a redemptive work as they speak this into um, the hearts of those they counsel. He goes on to talk about how writers, producers, songwriters... Now listen, there are a lot of writers, producers, songwriters that are singing a lot of godless, unholy stuff. But there are people you listen to on the way home. Songs that we sing today. Those are writers who are using their gifts and they're working in this redemptive element pointing us to Jesus. There are movies that we can watch that points us to Jesus. Books, stories that we can read that point us to the redemption in Christ. So you can work and image the Father in that way. Number two is creative work. God's design of physical and the human world. God is the one who gives humans creativity. And in expressing this creativity, we can reflect our creative Father. I would not call my work creative, because I am not creative. But there are those who are creating. I'm just, see, just thus saith the Lord. Like, this, this is what I'm telling you. It's not creative. This is just the word. But there are those who do creative work. Musicians creating music. Potters who are creating pottery, right? Seamstresses, interior designers, carpenters, architects who are doing creative work from their mind to paper to the reality. They're creating and in that, they're honoring and reflecting the Creator God. Number three, providential work. Providential work, God's provision for and sustaining of humans and the creation. Our God is a God of order. He's a God of order. He wants things to be orderly. He's also a God who provides. So there is work to be done here that provides and brings about order in a flourishing society. You think about farmers. You and I wouldn't last very long without farmers. They're providing. You think about firemen, repairmen, bankers, meteorologists. I give them a hard time. It seems like, man, do you ever get it right? But there's times they're, they're saving lives, like giving warnings. Take, right? They're providing. Mechanics, engineers, plumbers, janitors, managers, supervisors. Hear me. Public policymakers. Brothers and sisters, it is possible, it is still possible, I believe with all my heart, and we see it in pockets, for you to have godly policymakers, godly politicians who love Jesus more than this country, but who understand they want to live that out and they want to bring order. They want to see human flourishing as they seek to live out God's word. Then you have the work of justice work, God's maintenance of justice. God is a just God. He judges justly and rightly. And we have people who seek to image him in that. So judges and lawyers. Yes, it is possible. It may be hard, but it is possible to be a godly, just lawyer seeking to do justice. City managers, prison wardens, guards, law enforcement, 
personnel who do this every day, seeking, right, the work of justice, and they do it to honor the Lord. Number five, compassionate work. God's involvement in comforting and healing and guiding and shepherding. Where would we be without doctors? Where would we be without nurses and paramedics? Where would our foster system be, though it is a mess, where would they be without social workers who were seeking, right, to do this compassionate work? My mom was a social worker for years. Some of you have been in the hospital, right, and you've got to make decisions for that loved one, and they come in, and man, my mom would always seek to pray, always seek to encourage. You can do these sorts of things and point people to Jesus Christ. Or you can do this community workers, and again, counselors. And the last one is revelatory work. God's work to enlighten with truth. Educators. Praise God for educators. Listen, whether you are homeschool, public school, or you are educating in the private school realm, praise God for you. Keep up the work. Educate. Shine the truth. Reveal the truth to your students. Scientists. Again, we know a lot of godless scientists, but there are scientists who love Jesus and recognize that science and God aren't opposed, but right that we have science because we have a creator. And they seek to understand that everything goes back to the creator. You can have scientists, journalists. It is possible. I know it's hard when you watch TV and read the news anymore, the, the papers, but you can have followers of Jesus who are just simply, I'm not here to tell you what to think or how to think. I'm simply here to give you the truth. And I'm going to trust you're smart enough to figure out what to do with it. We have people who still do that. And then you have preachers who are simply to reveal God's work. And now some of you moms are thinking, my goodness, I do all of that. Yes, you do. Praise God. Constantly. Like you're doing all of this just reflecting God in the way that you love your children. So what's the point? Here's the point. Your work has significant meaning. Your work has significant meaning. Listen, we live in a society, in a culture, and maybe you're guilty of this. And if so, I pray that this will convict you and, and open your eyes. We have so many people. Work for them is simply a means to an end. They walk in, they punch in, they work their time, and they punch out. No purpose, no meaning, no joy. Because for them, their work is simply a means to have a car or to have a roof over their head, clothes on their back, food on their table. They find no joy and no meaning. They just do it, and they can't wait till they leave. It doesn't have to be this way, brothers and sisters. Don't see your work as just a means to pay the bills or to make a living. But see your work, whatever that is, home, stay-at-home mom or you're working in a different industry, maybe something I didn't even mention. Whatever it may be, see it as an opportunity every day when you clock in that you can image your creator, your father. See it as an opportunity every day for you to love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. If you didn't go to work, there'd be a whole section of people that you could never love on. And see your work every day as an opportunity to take advantage of the opportunity and the time that God has given you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to work and you're just there to be there, you will miss out on all three of those. 
But if you recognize work is a gift of God, He's provided you with strengths and talents, and He's put you in the job that you're in, man, you can make a difference there. Number two, playing for the glory of God. Not only can you work for the glory of God, but you can play for the glory of God. God has built into His creation a rhythm to life. We work, and then we rest. And we aren't created to only work. You can't just work. Your body will not survive if all you do is work, 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 work. You have to find rest. You have to find downtime. We're created to glorify God, and one way we do that is by enjoying His good gifts. So let me say three things about hobbies and leisure. Number one, they may be viewed as good gifts from God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 teaches us that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God provides His blessings for our enjoyment. So good news. Enjoy His gifts. He's given them. Enjoy them. Anybody want to confess that work can be hard and very, very stressful? It's hard. It's stressful. It takes a toll on us. Leisures and hobby can be a way for us to take the focus off the stress and to enjoy God's good gifts. Listen, I am a proponent that you ought to take vacation. Some of you are like, I can't take vacation. i got to work, work, work. No, you need a vacation. If your job gives you vacation, take it. It doesn't mean you got to go on an elaborate vacation. Do a staycation. Take a vacation. I am a huge proponent of spending time with your family. I can't tell you the number of horror stories, including family in, in my dad's family who were pastors who ruined their marriage and their children because they never stopped working. It was just ministry, ministry, ministry. They never made time for their family. Make time for your family. I'm a huge proponent. If you're married, date your spouse. Whatever you got to do, date your spouse because the day's coming when your kids won't be home anymore. And what happens when the kids move out? So many times, marriages crumble because they only stayed together for the kids. They weren't still in love with one another. Listen, life is hard. It is busy. You got to make time for God's good gifts. Secondly, leisure and hobbies are not inherently sinful, but they can become sinful quickly. <coughs> Jeff Robinson writes, insofar as leisure time is enjoying things God has created for our good, they are by no means sin. But can they become sin? No doubt. We've been talking about idolatry these last two Wednesdays with the men on Wednesday nights, and we've got two more weeks. I want to encourage you to come if you haven't been, men. John Calvin, and this is something Chris has mentioned, he famously said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. God gives us all these good gifts. And though we're redeemed, sin remains, and what we have a tendency to do is take God's good, good gifts and make them gods in our life. So if you're not careful, you'll take God's good things, turn them into a God thing, lowercase g, and then they become bad things. I'm reading a book on marriage right now, and they made this statement, a good thing becomes a bad thing when it crowds out the best thing. What's the best thing? It's Jesus. Anything that crowds out Jesus becomes a bad thing. We are all, everyone in this room, <coughs> young to old, we are prone to misuse God's good gifts or to worship God's good gifts, which become idolatry. Just think about four. 
quickly, your spouse, your children, money, sex. All incredibly good gifts. Your spouse, it is an amazing gift. But hear me, you make your spouse God, you damage your relationship. You put expectations on him or her that they cannot measure up to. They are not supposed to be your God. Don't make them your God. Parents, the temptation of our hearts is to make our children our idol. We begin to worship them. We want everybody to know how amazing and great they are. They become the very thing that we worship. Don't put your kids in a place where they can't measure up. Money. Money is the root of all evil. Take me at my word, right? No. You're like, no, pastor, that is not what the scriptures say. What do the scriptures say? Love of money. Money in and of itself is not sinful. Can it become sinful? Really quickly. And then sex. Our youth have been talking about um, healthy relationships on Wednesday nights. Sex is an incredibly good gift. Nobody wanted to amen that, I see. It's awkward, right? It's like, do I say amen? Do I not say amen? Um, so, right, it's an incredible gift. In a relationship between one man and one woman when they say, I do, and make a covenant with one another. What is our world worshiping right now? It's worshiping sex. It is taking it, and it is twisting it, and distorting it, and making it all sorts of things that God never meant for it to be. And we're bowing down at the idol. And man, look where our culture has come as a result of that. So God's good gifts are to be enjoyed, just don't make them God's. And then third, leisure and hobbies should be done to God's glory. I, I heard something years ago, um, and it just, I was reminded of it this week distinguishing between pointer glory, like your pointer finger, pointer, pointing to something, and ultimate glory. There's a difference. Some of you love the beach. So consider a sunset on the beach. Or others are like, nah, forget the beach, man. I just want to go hiking in the mountains. So whatever you like, think about that. Say you're on the beach and you see that sunset. That sunset is not ultimate glory. Now, there are some who will bow down and worship a sun god not followers of Christ. That sun is pointer glory. It's pointing you to a greater glory, the creator. You don't worship the sun. You're walking through the mountains. You don't worship the mountains. You don't say, oh, majestic are you mountains. No, you say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. They're pointing you to the glory of God. Hear me, your spouse, your children, sex, whatever good gift, it is pointing you to a creator, a glorious creator. It is not ultimate glory. And when it becomes ultimate glory, you're in trouble because you've got an idol that needs to be thrown down and you need to repent and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. God gets the glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of of God. Eating, drinking, everything from the most fun to the most mundane can be done to glorify God. Which means, parents, your kids can play sports and you can cheer them on to the glory of God. Just don't parent them in such a way that that sport becomes their God. Men and women, you can watch Kentucky Wildcats or for some of you the Georgia Bulldogs or whoever you root for. You can watch that and it not be worship. Or you can be like the millions for whom it is worship. Because your mood 
on Sunday morning is great if Georgia wins, which seems to happen a lot in football lately. Or if they don't win, you come to church all mad because your team lost. Like, you can do it right or you can do it wrong. Like, you can garden, listen to music, you can exercise, you can do outdoor activities, you can take vacations, and all can be enjoyed if, big if, if those things bring glory to God. Now, there are some things that right off the bat, you know, don't bring glory to God. There's music you can listen to on the way home that you know, man, the language, the words, the message, this does not glorify God. Turn that filth off. There are shows that you can watch this week that you know in your heart this doesn't glorify God, so just turn it off. Don't waste your time with things that aren't building you up. Now, you can do it, just don't make those things ultimate in your life. And then lastly, and what I think most importantly, resting for the glory of God. So hang on and keep listening. Again, we're not going to talk about physical rest. You need it. You need to rest. If you don't, your body is just going to, it's going to fall apart. You need rest. Your body needs rest. God has built into his creation a rhythm to life. We work and rest. And hear me, because I think this is important. This is grounded in creation. It's not grounded in the Ten Commandments. It's not grounded in the Decalogue or the law or the, 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 the law that God gives to Israel. It's there, but it's grounded. It goes before that in creation. And on the seventh day, Genesis 2-2, God finished his work that he had done. And he what? Rested. Rested. That means he just ceased. He stopped what he was doing, which was creating, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And now we fast forward to the Decalogue. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now what's that grounded in? It's grounded in they are to rest on the seventh day because God rested on the seventh day. And God rested not because God was exhausted. He just chose to rest because he knew we would need rest. And so he's, he's showing, he's modeling this for us. But notice what else he says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. Why is it to be holy? Because God is holy. And God is establishing this day, the seventh day, that is to be holy because he is holy and we are to keep it holy. Now we're going to skip over a lot of stuff. David Mazin has covered a lot of this in Sunday nights talking about the Sabbath. We're going to fast forward now to Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Give you rest. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about come to me and find rest and then when you get into chapter 12 on a couple of occasions he mentions something about the sabbath verse 8 for the son of man is lord of the sabbath and then people get upset with him upset with him because he heals on the sabbath and so he says so is it lawful to do good on the sabbath so they've taken the sabbath and these religious leaders add so many more commands to it that jesus says it becomes burdensome to the people they just can't keep it straight and so Jesus, understanding that people are overwhelmed by a law that was never meant to save them, but to point them to him, now says, you can come to me and you can find rest. There is spiritual rest in Christ. Just as they worked six days and on the seventh day rested, they ceased. So in Christ, we cease 
from our spiritual works of trying to earn salvation by keeping the law in order to be saved. So I've kept the law, now I can be saved. No, rather, we cease trusting in our works. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, who has purchased our redemption. How many of you, if you're honest, would say your identity is your work? It's your job. I can't tell you the number of pastors. Their identity is in the work that they do. How many men and women, man, they can't imagine their life if they didn't have their job. Like, that's all they know. They're willing to sacrifice everything in their life because this is my identity. Well, Jesus is saying, no, we come to him for our identity. Now, listen, that doesn't negate a need for a Sabbath for us. So Sinclair Ferguson has a very helpful article called Sabbath Rest. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, and then we're going to land the plane. He says, in creation, man was made as God's image. Intended naturally as God's child to reflect his father. Since his father worked creatively for six days and rested on the seventh, Adam, like a son, was to copy him. Together on the seventh day, they were to walk in the garden. That day was a time to listen to all the father had to show and tell about the wonders of his creating work. Thus the Sabbath day was meant to be Father's Day every week. It was made for Adam. It also had a hint of the future in it. The father had finished his work, but Adam had not. He continues, but Adam fell. He ruined everything, including the Sabbath. Instead of walking with God, he hid from God. It was the Sabbath, Father's Day, but God had to look for him. This new context helps us to understand the significance of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was given to fallen man. That is why it contains a you shall not. He was not to work, but to rest. And I find this helpful. Externally, that meant ceasing from his ordinary tasks in order to meet with God. Internally, it involved ceasing from all self-sufficiency in order to rest in God's grace. Consider this. What difference did the coming of Jesus make to the Sabbath day, he asked. In Christ crucified and risen, we find eternal rest, and we are restored to communion with God. We rest in Christ from our self-sufficiency, and we have access to the Father. As we meet with Him, He shows us Himself, His ways, His word, His purposes, His glory. But one may ask, how does this impact my Sunday's As a Christian, this view of the Sabbath should help us regulate our weeks. Sunday is Father's Day, and we have an appointment to meet Him. This view of the Sabbath helps us deal with the question, is it okay to do this, fill in the blank, on Sunday, because I don't have any other time to do it, because I'm so busy the rest of the week. So I'm so busy the rest of the week, That the only time I have to do it is Sunday, so is it okay to do it on Sunday? And here's his response. If this is our question, the problem is not how we use Sunday. It is how we are misusing the rest of the week. Think about this. In the Old Testament, they worked six days, and on the seventh day, they rested. And then Jesus comes. And after his resurrection... The early church begins, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the early church begins, 
And when do they begin to worship? It's not the seventh day. It's the first day. They begin, based upon the resurrection of Jesus, to worship on the first day and then live out the other six days in light of what they've just gathered to do, which is to worship Jesus. I think some of you, sometimes myself, we do this backwards. We give, we give, we give, we work, we work, we work, and then we come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I'm exhausted here. You can have my leftovers. Rather than know Jesus, you're first. I'm going to put you first, and nothing is going to interfere with that. And out of this, I will live the other six days to your glory and your honor. So how should you respond to a message like this? Two things. First, let me speak to those of you who are unbelievers. Those of you who do not believe in Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sins, you've never believed in his name, maybe you're visiting with family and you're just, you're just here because your mama wanted you to be here, or maybe you just felt like you needed to be here for some reason, the Lord brought you here. How should you respond to a message like this on time? Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here's the thing about time. You can't borrow from yesterday, and you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised five minutes from now. Hear me. You have right now, at this moment. Ah, oh, I'm going to live my life the way I want it. I'll eventually give my life to Jesus. No, there's no promises you're going to have that long. You have this moment. So what are you going to do with this time, this opportunity, as the Spirit of God is convicting you? Give your life to Jesus. Confess your sins, repent of your sins, and take hold of Jesus. Would you acknowledge, Jesus, I've tried. I've been down every road, every avenue, trying to find these things to give me purpose and meaning, and I'm as empty today as I've ever been. So I'm coming to you, the one who can save me, the one who can give me rest. Will you give your life to Jesus? And then for believers, how do we respond to this message? You have a date of birth. You will have a date of death. Right now you have a dash. You have a number of days and a limited number of opportunities. Will you decide this morning, and I'm going to honor the Lord with my time? Will you seek to leverage your time whether that's at work, at play, or resting for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. Will you right now say, okay, Father, rest is what I need more than anything. Rest in you, seeking you, pursuing you. And so I'm willing right now to get rid of these other things that are keeping me from being in your word, keeping me from praying, keeping me from gathering, keeping me from a Sunday school class, that are keeping me from serving. I want to make the best use of my time to rest and seek you. And then out of that, take my work and take my play and may everything I do bring glory and honor to you. And may we live out the rest of our days knowing that though they are limited, you can make a difference for the glory of God by seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ at every opportunity that you have. Start doing that now for his glory. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, a, a message like this, there are so many different ways that that we can respond. Maybe for some people it didn't feel applicable. They are not struggling with time. And for others, God, maybe they're feeling guilty because they acknowledge, man, I have some idols in my life, things that are keeping me from, 
following and pursuing Jesus. Father, maybe for some, we're just unsure of, of what to do. We're just tired and beat down and exhausted, constantly feeling like we're failing. What well, a purpose of, of a sermon like this, God, is ultimately to bring encouragement to us. And I want people to leave here feeling encouraged. That they can, wherever they work, however they play, whatever they do with their time, it is possible through the Holy Spirit that indwells them to live their life to make a difference. The discouraged, beat-down moms. God, right now, would you just encourage them? The moms who are thinking, man, I don't get it right, and I fail, and I feel like I'm failing my kids. God, would you just wash over them right now with your spirit? Just encourage them. Let them know they're making a difference. They can continue to make a difference. God, that you're using them for the man or the woman who's just discouraged at his job, feels defeated, maybe is surrounded by so much evil and wickedness and just maybe fear of their losing their job. 